0: And that's blast off. Hi, I'm Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. As NASA astronaut Scott Kelly arrived safely back on planet Earth last week from 12 months on the International Space Station, we have an interview today with Chris Tate on another famous astronaut, Canadian Chris Hadfield. Hadfield wrote the book, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, and a little while ago it was Chris Tate's birthday. Louise Bedford, myself and my partner, took him to see Chris Hadfield speak about his time on the International Space Station. Today, Chris Tate and I discuss some of the secrets to Hadfield's success that made him think like an astronaut, and we compare them to the way that traders think like traders. A bit of background to Hadfield. He was the Commander-in-Chief of the International Space Station in 2013, The space station drifts around the world like a miniature moon and orbits Earth every 92 minutes. Hadfield was the first astronaut to bring space to social media with his YouTube clips and zero-gravity version of David Bowie's A Space Oddity. When Hadfield dreamed of going to space as a child, Canada didn't even have a space program. But against the odds, he worked as a military pilot, a test pilot and up through the ranks of NASA to become one of the most accomplished astronauts in the world. It's rare that I've seen Chris Tate so impressed. As he walked out of Hadfield's talk, his response was, now there's a guy who has some serious shit worked out. Here are some of the reasons why Chris Tate enjoyed what the astronaut had to say and how they apply to trading.
1: ground control to Major Tom. you've really
0: made the grade. Chris Tate, hello and welcome back to Talking Trading.
1: Hi, Caroline.
0: So Chris, what did you really like about Chris Hadfield's talk?
1: It's a long list to start with. One of the things that's always intrigued me about people is that there is a subset of people who are doing what they should be doing but they're doing what they should be doing because they they identified at some point in their life what they wanted to do and then they set about through a series of small incremental steps heading towards that goal and there's something to be taken away from people like that that capacity to see what you want through through this awful opacity of life and to lock onto it and then move towards it.
0: And that was a key point of Chris Hadfield's that do something every day that moves you towards your goals.
1: That was the intriguing thing because you you sort of look at people who are successful, and I think that the poor mindset we have is that we think that they moved from failure to success. There was nothing <laughs> in between. And that there is this they managed to leap this gulf in a single bound. When in actual fact the, th- the thing he pointed out was that It was this continual evolution, this continual momentum, and it did not matter how small the steps were. They were still part of the momentum of moving towards where you wanted to be. One one of the cornerstones I took was just continual momentum, that forward pressure that you exert Mm -hmm. on life.
0: So Hadfield said there's no such thing as an accidental astronaut. Is there such a thing as an accidental trader?
1: No. It's analogous to something Ed Sakota said in Market Wizards. He was posed the question, is there anything that an unsuccessful trader can do to make themselves successful? And his response was a blunt no, because an unsuccessful trader who wanted to be successful would have found a way to be successful some way or other they would have found a way or they'd be again in that phase of continual forward pressure of moving forward and that's the thing people with goals don't get there by accident it it might look like a series of happy accidents to those of us on the outside but to them everything's carefully planned and crafted and everything he did was a series of careful measured steps moving towards that single goal. Now, to put this into context, you've got to remember, he wanted to be an astronaut when he saw Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. He he apparently turned to his mother and said, look, that's what I want to do. Mm. And she said, well, that's good, dear. There's only two problems. One is we're farmers and two, you're Canadian.
0: (laughs) And Canada didn't have a space mission. Canada
1: Canada had no space program whatsoever at (laughs) all. That did not seem to deter him in the slightest because he had a series of tiny steps to get there in the end.
0: And one of the steps that Hadfield uses is visualisation and when he was in fighter pilot school he used to visualise the routes that he had to fly mm. so when he was actually in the air he knew exactly where he was at all times. How important is visualisation to you as a trader?
1: Athletes do the same thing. It seems to be a default setting of people who are successful although the thing I will say is that all winners visualise but not all people who visualise win. And that's probably because they don't put the little steps in behind the visualization. One one of the things that always used to amaze me—not amaze me, appall me—was people who'd read *The Secret* and it went, "I just have to wish." No, no, you don't. You've actually got to get off your ass and do something. And it's like the old notion of the book *Think and Grow Rich*. No, that should be retitled *Get Off Your Ass, Work Hard, and Grow Rich*. But that wouldn't sell at all because that's not what people want to hear. It's good to have the dream, and it's good to have little moments of dreaming about the dream, but it still has to have this back end behind it. And the back end is the grind and the momentum. And the momentum helps you overcome the grind because it strikes me that whilst his career seems immensely interesting to outsiders, and it is, the notion of being in the military day in and day out with this aim that one day you might be an astronaut, it strikes me that that part is the grind.
0: You know, the astronauts, he was saying, that come into NASA who had the hardest time adjusting and the rock stars, the people who yes. have been relying on raw talent and, yes. and winged everything. And then when they get to Houston, they have to buckle down and work.
1: And the, the other thing that intrigued me from his book was the message of, there were two examples of not to be a dickhead along the way. And the first was, and it was an, an experience that humbled him, his son came to him and said, look, I can swim a lap of the pool underwater. And he promptly swam too. And he said the look on his son's face devastated him, and he thought, never do that again, because that's just being a dickhead. And being Canadian, he didn't say dickhead. And the other one was the old NASA selection criteria of where they would send candidates down to sea to the medical centre. The nurse receptionist, they'd ring her up afterwards and go, which ones? And she would go, he's a dickhead, he's a dickhead, he's a dickhead. And they'd mysteriously disappear from the program for some reason because NASA obviously had these tried and true methods of if this person's going to be a dickhead to this person who they think is inferior to them, we're going to have trouble with them. We'll get rid of them. Wonderful litmus test.
0: And he describes it as being a minus one, and zero or a plus one.
1: Yes. And you start off trying not to be a minus one. You start off trying to be a zero. So you don't start off trying to be a hero. You just don't want to get in the way. And I, I think many people unfortunately when they have a a dream or a goal this affects traders too they start off thinking they're going to be a hero going to be a plus one when you should be thinking well i just don't want to get in my own way because he also said something that that i I found intriguing he said there is no problem as an astronaut that you can't make worse and i thought there's a lesson for life in and of itself And, and it seemed to me that part of his training was don't make it any worse than it is and then try and work it out. And unfortunately, traders always make it worse than it is. They they can't seem to help it.
0: Amazingly, Chris Hadfield is afraid of heights. Yes. But he's learnt to push past it.
1: He's learnt to deal rationally with the fear. And as he said, being afraid of heights is a perfectly rational fear (laughs) because it can hurt. But you hear that often in people who deal in areas of life that you would think they would be naturals at. Uh, I've met surgeons who don't like blood. I've I've actually played football with pilots who didn't like being up a ladder. It's just understanding that you have fears and learning to manage them and to recognise when they are completely irrational. For example, when Louise and I were in Tokyo, we wandered down to Tokyo Tower, which was built about 1956. The Japanese regarded it as a symbol of uh, resurrection from the Second World War. And it's a big red version of the Eiffel Tower and it's different from the Eiffel Tower and it's clean and tidy and the lifts work really well. (laughs) So it's not French at all. You go up to the top level and part of the floor is laid in glass or or very high-impact resin. So you can stand on it and look through uh, down several hundred metres to the ground. And the intriguing thing is little kids will walk up to it and start jumping on it. And that mortifies adults, (laughs) me included. But the adults can't get over the hump. They're being caught by their own fear. And people get caught by their own irrational fears all the time.
0: Hadfield also said that, and I quote, that in high-stress state situations, all you really need is knowledge. Sure, you might feel a little nervous or stressed or hyper-alert, but what you won't feel is terrified. Is knowledge I mean, the antidote to fear?
1: I, I would say the plan is, because the plan is derived from knowledge. One of the things that causes stress in people is that they don't have a plan for dealing with things. So the people start trading and things begin to occur, but they've got no set mechanism for dealing with what's occurring. So you have to fall back on basic reactions. And unfortunately, your basic psychology is always going to fail you because it's going to drift towards the irrational. It's going to drift towards the panic. And this is the conversation we were having earlier. It's quite remarkable at what you can train people to do, but it's simply a matter of training having a plan and executing the plan. Uh, no, Nobody gets to where they are simply by making it up on the fly. Mm. It, they, they just don't. It's like I, I've had the fortunate situation that before 9-11, I, I often used to get to sit in the jump seat in commercial airliners because I did a lot of overnight flights and the pilot would come out and you start chatting and you end up sitting in the jump seat. And you would do so on approaches to really, really interesting places at night. The thing you notice is it's a constant conversation, and it's a constant conversation around the checklist all the time. Nothing's made up. It's, we're going here, I'm doing this, I'm telling this person I'm doing that. And that was my next
0: question, checklist. So Hadfield was a fighter pilot, a test pilot, and the use of checklists as a pilot is essential. <laughs> Some of our mentorees use checklists. Stephen Warden yes. comes to mind.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Do you use checklists when you're trading?
1: Yes. Yes. The, the very The very very good ones use checklists in in it doesn't matter what form they take whether it's it's a simple list on paper or it's a flow chart. They still have a mechanism they go through before anything happens, and the checklist is god that mm-hmm. that's the thing because that's the thing you default to, and that's the thing you know works.
0: Let's talk about attitude. In spaceflight, attitude, according to Hadfield, refers to the orientation, which direction your vehicle's pointing relative to the sun, earth, and other spacecraft, right? If you lose control of your attitude in space, two things happen. One, the vehicle starts to tumble, spin, and disorientates everyone on board. And two, it strays from its course, which, if you're short on fuel, means life or death. And he reckons it's something similar for life on Earth. He can only control his attitude. And we were both talking about it. He's a very Mm. even kind of guy. And that's what keeps him feeling steady, stable, headed in the right direction. Mm. Let's talk about attitude and trading.
1: The only thing you can control, you can't control the market, but you can control your response to the market. So you control what emotions you throw at the market. But what you can control is yourself. And one of the things that intrigues me about humans is the profound lack of self-control that the majority of people have.
0: And which you have a huge amount of.
1: I'm a little bit tightly wound, though. I'm probably too far the other way. So there is probably a happy medium somewhere. People don't have this ability to control the way they respond to things. You know, to to revert back back to my time in Japan, the Japanese have a concept known as mushin, which is no-mindedness. It is that complete and utter equilibrium which allows fluidity of action. And it allows this fluidity of action because you're not buffeted by all your internal emotions.
0: Depersonalizing criticism. When you're at NASA, everyone's a critic. You Mm. go in from being top of your profession to the bottom of the food chain. When you do all the simulations, which is what you spend most of your time doing, it involves a crowd, you get group Mm. feedback, and you get mass criticism. How important is it for as a trader to know your weaknesses and not personalize the criticism the market's giving you?
1: Look, I won't say it's a matter of life or death, but it's a matter of being profitable or not profitable. You need to accept that in trading, most of the time you will be making mistakes. But it's understanding that important point that there is that there is no critical nexus between being right and making money. You've just got to keep ploughing through. We do internalise criticism. It's It's the way we are. And many people, for example, have not played sport at a high level where your coach is not only your greatest cheerleader, but also your greatest critic. Mm. Uh, People who can't take criticism never get anywhere.
0: Let's just go back to the repetition concept. Astronauts are often stereotyped as cowboys and daredevils because they have such a glamorous job because effectively they're strapped to a bomb.
1: Yes, and shot into space.
0: (laughs) But in reality, they're highly methodical and detail-orientated. And going back to this preparation that most of Hadfield's time was spent in simulators performing every task that was imaginable that could have gone wrong in space, they practised these tricky, repetitive tasks to the point of utter exhaustion. For a trader, do you have to get used to those tricky and repetitive
1: tasks? You do, because I, I was once told by a car salesman thousand years ago, uh, there used to be a car dealer down here that I used to buy cars from, and he had a saying, and it was really quite simple, and it was that proper prior preparation prevented piss-poor performance. Say that again. And proper prior preparation prevents piss-poor performance. Preparation is repetition time and time and time and time again. You do the same thing over and over and over and over again until it becomes second nature. Let's
0: go back to the glamorous and exciting Chris Hadfield who did spacewalks and went up on three separate missions because, let's face it, you can't get more exciting than space. What a bloke. What a bloke, yeah. So that's what I want to say is that when we came out of the talk, I went up to you and I said, oh, what do you think? And he said, now there's a guy who's got some serious shit worked out.
1: One of the things that has always crapped me off is that people go and they spend thousands of dollars to see peanuts like Anthony Robbins, who has 600 teeth in his head, none of which is his own, and he's now on his 14th facelift, and they'll go there and they'll pretend to break boards and they'll walk over a fake fire pit. And supposedly this peanut who's never done anything will tell them how to do things with their life. He's done nothing but tells people on how to do things. Hatfield has done everything, but tells you how to do nothing yes. other than explain to you this is how I did it now you've got to put this in context. here's a man who at nine decided he was going to be an astronaut and thought, mm, shit okay, got to get into the air Force now that's not easy that's really really, really hard to become a fighter pilot means you are among the top half percent intellectually and physically you just are He then got a degree in mechanical engineering he then went through various test pilot schools he then became an instructor. And he spent part of the eighties intercepting Russian bombers over the Arctic. (laughs) He then got his way into NASA and sort of moved his way forward through there. But even things down to He
0: then learnt Russian to improve his chances
1: to improve his chances because he knew he was going to go to Russia to train. Because the re entry vehicle is a Soyuz, a Russian vehicle. He then thought to himself, hmm, might be a good thing if I actually learn how to fly it as well, just in case. Because he's the master of proper preparation. And so it's this constant preparation of a man who sets his mind to do things and then does the thing. Not talks about doing the thing. He actually does the thing. I, I walked out thinking, well, all these bullshit motivational speakers might as well just pack up and piss off because he actually a new sheriff in town and it's a man who's actually done it. You just walk out going, that's pretty good actually. This bloke had an idea, and he just kept at it. Now, admittedly, he was he's undoubtedly a gifted individual.
0: Very easygoing, sp- smooth, calm. I,
1: the, the way I would put it is, he's, he's very Canadian. Yeah. They, they are that. And he, he's from the, uh, the west of Canada, so they, they tend to be a little bit more laconic and a little bit more relaxed. If I, I must admit, I did have the thought that if it had been an American doing the same thing, he probably would have been insufferable because he would have talked about how good he was. He would have talked about how great America was as the best place on Earth. He then would have crapped on about God for 30 minutes and then, as per his Second Amendment right, would have pulled out a, a, a handgun and shot eight people in the front row.
0: What did you think of his
1: spacewalks? That, the thing that intrigued me about that, this was what intrigued me about reading the book, was that spacewalks are planned years in advance. It did defeat my notion that was this This was just something you put on your fancy space undies and went outside. Apparently, you don't do that. Apparently, you train for years. And even then, you might not get to do it. So there is that constant chance of being disappointed, uh, as all his colleagues who were, what, over six foot tall found when the space shuttle was grounded, because if you're over six foot tall, you can't fit in the Russian launch vehicles. So you're screwed. Here are blokes who'd gone through the same preparation with the same sort of individuals, and their careers came to an end through no fault of their own. What else inspired you about
0: Chris Hadfield?
1: It's not so much inspiration as observation in that he made the point very early on, almost at the start, that he was the person he was because of the support around him. And if it had not been for the people around him, he would not be that person. And so what that that meant to me was he was adequately able to communicate his dream to others. So he took them with him on the dream and I think what happens with a lot of people is they have dreams about all sorts of things, but they can't communicate them to, you know, partner, spouse, whatever, so they can't take them with them. And he, he made it really quite clear that he married his childhood sweetheart, so they married whilst he was still in the military. He was actually, I think, still in the military academies at the time and very, very young. So he'd obviously communicated what the dream was. Hmm. And so if you can't communicate what it is, then I would imagine that's, that speaks two things to me. One is you don't understand what the dream is yourself, so you can't communicate it. Or two, you're just a selfish prick. And so either way, you're in trouble.
0: And he was very clear in the way he communicated to the audience, wasn't he?
1: He he was immensely clear. Mm. That you're not left in doubt about anything. He'd obviously thought, in, in in the years of you know moving towards becoming an astronaut, he'd obviously thought, very clearly about his own life and his own part and the, the part that other people played.
0: Any last words about Chris Hadfield? Because I'll just say this quote. He said, see, a funny thing happened on the way to space. I learned how to live better and more happily here on Earth.
1: That, that was one of the things I took from his book because he was working at NASA, and I can't remember in what function. But Cop it was was Yes, Capcom, the mission commander, which is an immensely responsible task. Capcom makes, my understanding is, makes all the decisions. Like, they're the overseer of everything. And said in his book, and I've got to get this right, whilst doing it, the most satisfying thing he did during that time was he built a deck with his neighbour. Yes. Because it gave him a sense of achievement. And that was the thing that I took away is that Everything needs to give you a sense of achievement. It, and it doesn't matter how big it is. So it doesn't matter if it's big or small, provided it's given you that sense of completion and you can step back and go, got that organised. I did that.
0: Do you want to go to space now?
1: No, I'd probably get airsick, <laughs> or space sick or whatever it might be.
0: Is The Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth one of your favourite books?
1: It's my big book of last year. But in terms of books, you actually get something from that you keep coming back to. It's in the top two or three.
0: Chris Tate, thanks for your chat.
1: Thanks, Caroline.
0: And That's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week to hear 2014 mentoree Jenny White on her trading journey. I'm Caroline Stephen, and on behalf of the team, thanks for your company. We'll see you next week.
1: You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen.
0: Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned.
1: Bye for now.
0: The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.